Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Women in the Arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Katie Winton. And I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. We'll be with you for the next half an hour. Thanks to All the Best for another great episode. To listen back to more great radio documentaries by All the Best, head to fbiradio.com. So coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll be chatting migration in our current global context with curator Inika Dane and artist Shireen Tawil in regards to a group exhibition called Know Your Neighbour that's happening at The Lockup, which is an artist-run initiative in Newcastle. Newcastle. <laughs> right now, though, it's April, and according to Donald Trump, that means it's National Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. Um, I thought maybe we should talk about that, but of course we shouldn't, because he's been accused of sexually assaulting more than 15 women in a series of allegations that unraveled in the run-up to the election. And I'm sure many of you have heard the leaked footage of him in 2005, where he was basically using net language that normalised sexual violence. So, nah. (laughs) Um, Instead, we're going to talk about a really wonderful article that came out about a week ago in the New York Times called Work is My Self-Care, looking at the meaning and origins of the self-care phenomenon. Yeah, I've been talking about this article nonstop since I read it and I keep being that really annoying person that's sending links to people that have probably got a million things that they need to read that are more important than what I'm, you know, saying to them. You really need to read this, read it, read it. But I just can't, yeah, I get way too excited about something when I learn something new. Yeah, and (laughs) can you explain why you liked it so much though? Like I get, you really like working. (laughs) Um, But I just read the title, like self-care, work is my self-care. And I jumped to so many conclusions because I was thinking like this person writes for the New York Times and I just kind of, my mind went a little bit, you know, she's probably went to an Ivy League, um, Ivy League college. She has this glamorous job and she lives in New York City. She probably has a nanny and she stops at Whole Foods and it's like, and she's going to turn around and write this article being like, you need to work more because that will make you like feel more fulfilled. I was like, had a little Ali Wong rager and was just like, I don't want to lean in. I want to lie down. So don't tell me that like working is going to like be the equivalent of like having a bath. Yeah. Okay. But you love naps. Um, I do. I like naps. I want more people to write articles saying you should nap. more naps. Well, I just feel like it articulated the losing yourself in work thing really well. Like she kind of talks about... I've never really thought about self-care as being patriarchal or stemming from a rescuer place. And that article briefly touched on the rescuer, which was introduced in the late 1800s for the treatment of hysteria. And I've never actually connected that to the patriarchal notion that women just need to lie down and not actually try to change the structures that are exhausting them. And I thought that was really well articulated. And I mean, I guess, of course, it's going to be different for some people. Like some people need naps. Some people really lose themselves when they're thinking about something else, which for me, I find... I just had this moment of breathing out, of being like, oh, yeah, okay, this is exactly what my self-care is, is to work more. And, it, <laughs> and it, yeah, and it works for you as well. I did yeah. Think, I think one thing that I thought was that that whole rescuer thing that, like, Virginia Woolf was, like, yeah. prescribed, lots of women during that time were prescribed this rescuer, and it made them crazy. Like, yeah. Like, it really did. And because, of course, it would. Um they basically told women to go to bed like and like mm. every time they had a meal that they should go and have a nap for two hours after which I am all about but like it doesn't work for everybody <laughs> that would 
yeah, not work for me but at all. But also, it's a very it's specific to the um, it's for a very specific um group of women. It's for white women and yeah, like, exactly during that time and of a so uh, a certain socio economic class and so for a lot of women there isn't that option of like take a few hours off work and yeah. go to do some you know go get a massage yeah there was this really great quote in the article that said it should come as no surprise that self-care as co-opted from black women and mar- marketed largely to white women has come to be synonymous with idleness for white women taking care of oneself has, has historically meant abstaining from work I thought that was set you right up for that quote. Yeah, you <laughs> did, didn't you? <laughs> well, I can tell that it piqued your interest, and it is something that we have talked a lot about um, in Women in the Arts, um, particularly in terms of music as self care. And I think in the aftermath of Trump getting elected, I didn't. I'm not going to say that we invented this idea of a playlist <laughs> <laughs> for self care, but a lot of um, there are lots. I saw a lot of like self care playlists, and so that was like I thought that was a nice community minded way of you know get, have achieving solidarity and yeah self-care yeah it felt like a really important light-hearted way to instigate mm. connectivity for us especially because the sense of community is at the forefront of most things that we do so if you missed that we we released a self-care tips and songs playlist that was meant to be people sharing their self-care tips and a song that like resets them it's really good and it's like super sweet. Some people have terrible music taste, but they're like really cool. Yeah, it was I a very people, erratic playlist. Yeah, I liked it. Um, but I think I liked it because I'm not particularly good at what, you know, is advertised as self-care. And I, I find myself, I think you're the same. Like we're, yeah. not, we're not great at it. No. And, um, and I find myself just like looking at these women who know how to self-care innately it it seems like um you know they know how to have enough sleep and have a balanced diet and a balanced life and I think those they seem like real people to me like if you know how to look after yourself you're like not just an adult you're like a fully formed human being and so I'm always like oh how do they do it (laughs) um so and I think that we personally I only really heard of self-care like maybe a year ago or something like that and I thought that it had just kind of crept into the American lexicon but it's been a part of American history for a really long time and it's it's interesting that it's inextricably linked to citizenship so even uh, in terms of slavery in 1850 in 1851 slavery was justified by noting a debasement of the mind, which has rendered the people of Africa unable to make um, to take care of themselves, and so that was a kind of they can't be a, it justified slavery and almost like implied their humanity because um, of this idea of they they weren't able to perform self care, um, and that is like people um, slave people that were enslaved from Africa. The same logic was applied to Eastern European immigrants coming to America who were deemed unfit citizens because they lacked the ideas and attitudes which befit men to take up the problem of self-care and self-government. So they're using that language like in mm. law yeah. to um, to justify racist policies and slavery. Um, and also, I didn't realise this either, self-care in America was also required a certain amount of... Um, oh, it was like also used to justify why... I don't know how you can say this, but it was justified, used to justify why women shouldn't be allowed to vote. I can't quite make that connection. I can't make the connection for any of them, but... Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like, yeah, and I think that like in America, and obviously that means everywhere else, um, there's always required a certain amount of performance. A person has to be able not only to care for herself, but to provide society but to prove to society that she's doing it. And I thought that was interesting because I feel like any time that I've ever 
done something that seems like self-care I'm like hey everybody <laughs> I made a soup look at this and you see it on like Instagram yeah. things like that like you see people this like performance of self-care yeah well I think social media definitely doesn't help for the I guess for the nuances of what people need in terms of self-care and I think maybe it's just a different thing for everyone and maybe the language around self-care entering the mainstream kind of corporate space is really dangerous because it doesn't acknowledge people's different needs and different mental health requirements as well mm. I think that can be quite problematic like I don't want to have baths you want to have baths I want to <laughs> <have> <laughs> <I wanna> work <laughs> but I think the, that maybe just what we're talking about maybe ignores like the origins of self-care yeah. as a kind of it was a community it started as a kind of community coming together to look after each other in queer communities and for people of color yeah self-care was about coming together and it was a pushback against that dehumanizing language of self-care and and now it's like no you need to buy this bubble bath yeah well that's yeah that's something that that article talks about as well is the the kind of individualistic notion of self-care now rather than something that is needed to form community and Mm. and caring maybe shouldn't be all put onto one person you shouldn't have to care for yourself solely all the time yeah absolutely but if you do need to care for yourself solely all the time <laughs> no i don't yeah anyway. yeah in the um aftermath of the orlando i don't know if it's called a terrorist attack or the orlando um cl- club bombing attack anyway um uh these queer activists came together and made a self quick care quiz oh yeah and it's so good like you might look at it and be like this is so common sense but sometimes when you're really run down and you're overworked or emotionally drained you need to be like have you had a glass of water yeah how when was the last time you blah 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 and as you go through the quiz it gets a little bit more um interrogatory or it, it gets a bit deeper into like what might be making you feel not so good um so i'll put a link up to it yeah maybe you'll be like oh my god (laughs) grow up but i think it's actually really really good yeah Uh, look i didn't mean that not everyone has to (laughs) that everyone needs a community around them all the time i just mean Mm. that maybe our infrastructures around things like care and different communities in different spaces should be more kind of like inclusive or should be a shared thing yeah um should we take a song well, yeah, because I think, and I think we should play Kendrick Lamar's new song, um, Humble is the New Feminist Anthem. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> Let us know in our new segment, Is This Feminist? <laughs> 0409-945-945. It's not our new segment. We would never do anything like that. But we do want to hear what you think because people really, actually, I did as well, like watch the video to this song and we're like, oh my God, it's so empowering. Um, but Lauren Rosebourne wrote an interesting article on the conversation about the false feminism of um, Humble. So he uses the word bitch 40 times. Um, and irregardless, the media was like very quick to call it a feminist triumph. Um, it's kind of like Bono winning like the Woman of the Year Award or whatever <laughs> it is. It's like, this is like, he's done so much for feminism. Um, but according to Time... Listeners were blessed with a song offering up positive body language messages. Oh, really? Like, he's just, like, pointing at her butt and being like, yeah, stretch marks, which, like, I like, but I also don't think it's, like, this wonderful new thing. But why do we need Kendrick Lamar to tell us that stretch marks are okay? He needs to bless us with that knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Vogue also um, um, has us to believe that Humble suggests the true beauty can come down to peeling back the layers of carefully constructed persona. Oh, thank you very much, Vogue. Thank you very much, Vogue. (laughs) I want to read Teen Vogue's. um, I know, I know. You love Teen Vogue. (laughs) Let's play the song. Okay. I'm sorry. I just got excited. (laughs) This is Kendrick Lamar. 
with Humble. Nobody pray for me. It been a day for me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances. Vanessa nigga with some counterfeits, but now I'm counting this. Parmesan with my accountant lips. In fact, I'm down in this. Tuesday with my boobay tastes like Kool-Aid for the analyst. Girl, I can buy a Westie girl with my base stuff. Ooh, that pussy good. Won't you sit it on my taste buds? I get way too petty. Won't you let me do the extras? Pull up on your block and break it down. We playing Tetris. AM to the BM, BM to the AM phone. Out your per diem, you just gotta hate them folk. If I quit your BM, I still rock Mercedes folk. If I quit this season, I still be the greatest funk. My left stroke just went viral. Right stroke, put a baby in a spiral. Soprano C, we like to keep it on the high note. It's levels to it, you and I know. Bitch, be humble. Hold up, bitch, sit down. Hold up, be humble. Hold up, bitch, sit down. Sick and tired of the Photoshop. Show me something natural like Afro with your pride. Show me something natural like ass with some stretch marks. Still a take you down right on your mama couch and polo sack. Hey, this shit way too crazy. Hey, you do not amaze me. Hey, I blew cool from AC. Hey, Obama just pace me. Hey, I don't fabricate it. Hey, most of y'all be faking. Hey, I stay modest about it. Hey, she elaborated. Hey, this that great poop on that AV on that TED talk. Watch my soul speak, you let the meds talk Ay, If I kill a nigga, it won't be the alcohol Ay, I'm the realest nigga after all Bitch, be humble Hold up, bitch, sit down Be humble Sit down Be humble Bitch, sit down Be humble Sit down Be humble Sit down Be humble Sit down so that was Humble by Kendrick Lamar. Katie, that was the first time you saw it. Was it feminism? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not a segment we're doing. I really need to reiterate that. <laughs> we're joined now by curator Inika Dane and artist Shireen Tawil to talk about Know Your Neighbour, an exhibition happening now at the Lockup in Newcastle. Thanks so much for joining us, Inika and Shireen. Um, Inika, you're the curator of the exhibition. Can you talk to us about what the idea was for the exhibition more broadly? Mm. Hi. <laughs> well... <laughs> Believe it or not, the idea came about after um, our <laughs> lovely former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, announced that we'd have a one-off intake of 12,000 refugees from Syria uh, a couple of years back in 2015. Uh, so it's been in the pipeline for a while. And I got thinking about what that means for Australia. Uh, we have a history of multiculturalism and... 
Uh, despite that, despite a lot of our parents coming from other places, uh, we have a lot of racial tension as well, not to mention um, our fraught history with Indigenous Australians. So uh, I got to thinking about the fear involved with other people, people we don't know, and, you know, how can we talk about this in a more poetic way? Um, how do we think about this as individuals? And, um, you know, you can't just wait for the policymakers or, um, you know, the ministers to... Um, make big decisions on this and follow them. It's often the, the, you know, the emerging artists or, you know, the creatives or the smaller people who are doing really courageous works and um, talking about this in really literal but also really abstract ways. So it um, uh, it it translates and, and gets a message through in uh, non-didactic ways, I suppose. I think that um, maybe we're a little bit we're a step behind in those kind of culturally in understanding like uh, new migratory patterns and how that you know affects our communities and so mm. um, it's interesting to think about those new um, those new communities coming to Australia and allowing that kind of poetry and not being like in 20 years time when policy catches up and mm. you know education catches up so yeah well it's like the law which often um, reacts or works in a retrospective way. I mean, I have a background in law, so I think about policy and how that kind of works in art as well. So I'm a little bit uh, uh, tainted or biased <laughs> with that <laughs> discipline, I suppose. But, um, you know, look at Germany. They've got more of an open border policy. And I mean, Angela Merkel um, knows the positives that come with a new population. And I mean, if you want to look at it in an economic sense, which is what everything boils down to these days, there's studies um, done by economists, economists around the world that show that if, um, if we're borders were lifted uh, full stop and people could move freely, that world GDP would double at a modest estimate overnight. And that's because people move to a place because they want to they feel safe they want to be prosperous they want their family to be safe and they want to thrive that's just a natural instinct as the animal that we are absolutely and it's i think that the title know your neighbor is really interesting for that like there is so much objective data to support migration and the kind of opening of borders but we have this idea that it is a bad thing mm. and that can only really be broken down by literally talking to someone mm. next to you and having that empathy and I think we're afraid we're going to be flooded by people from other countries but you know if you look at um, the European Union Romania is one of the poorer economies of that are of the member states and there is still a large population of Romanians in Romania they don't want to leave their family or it takes a lot to leave your family or the place you were born or you know your culture absolutely Maybe we can open this up to Shireen. Now, you seem to be in every single exhibition. <laughs> so you're, I can't believe how busy you must be. Um, so, Thank yeah, you. I guess we were wondering how um, your practice relates to this kind of exhibition specifically. Absolutely. Um, I guess my practice has stemmed directly from living within the diaspora in that I am constantly looking between my local community and how that connects with the global um, and particularly through the platform of the mosque and sacred space and that saying how the mosque in the west 
like in Australia, really is this beautiful reflection of hybridity that connects um, and crosses culture between um, the West and the East. And I feel that Islam in Australia uh, beautifully reflects um, cultural synchronism within our greater Australian communities that it hasn't really been acknowledged to the point I feel like it could really grow from. Yeah, right. And is that what your work is? Definitely. So I, I work particularly through copper and I feel the the traditions of the coppersmiths extend directly from the East. And for me, it's coming from the place of the Middle East and particularly Lebanon and my connections to tradition and how tradition is reworked and shifts and changes through places of movement. And this comes from migration, of course, but it also extends to how today we're in an age of migration and the refugee is the biggest of our time in in considering um, a remake up of community. And saying that, so I, I really reassess what tradition means and how open it is to reworking in the contemporary. So by reworking my traditional processes as a coppersmith, I'm able to push the, the language and push the Islamic decorative arts in my work. And that really reflects a conversation um, in Australia of this multiple transculture that goes on every day and whether that's in a sacred space like a mosque or whether it's um, within with your neighbor of course or within any real everyday situation where there's this great exchange and I find that very enriching and a great place to explore conceptually. You were talking about this notion of um, a diasporic experience kind of informing your work. Inika I wanted to ask you are all of the artists in the exhibition kind of do they all share that um understanding of of a diasporic kind of experience in Australia? Yeah, there's there's nine artists in the exhibition. Um, One is a collective, which is the Refugee Art Project, and that's probably um, the most extreme. Um, With um, the concepts I like to work with, I try and uh, bring in the the really literal as well as the really abstract so we have the refugee art project and people from um, Sri Lanka and Pakistan and Iraq and then we have um, uh, Marish Iqbal uh, she's from Pakistan she lives and works in Sydney we have Abdul Abdullah where he was born in Australia but he has um, his parents were migrants um, we have Shireen uh, who's with us just now and her parents are from Lebanon uh, Ella Rubelli, she is Australian, but she's worked a lot overseas. She's doing a feature film at the moment on um, permanent inundation of lands in the small island states, so migration arising from climate change. Um, yeah, we have a, an Australian artist who's living in Austria, so he's been witnessing this sheer number of migrants working through. Everyone has either a family or a sought-out experience of migration or, um, yeah, movement or multicultural background. And I guess um, that was, uh, in a way, part of the selection criteria for the artists, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like your selection kind of reflects how different migratory experiences can be. Like, there are so many different ways to experience migration and... Um, and so 
that, that pro- I imagine that would present a lot of challenges as a curator to try to do service and give space to those different stories and the yeah the diversity of those stories. Yeah, I guess um, I didn't want the exhibition to be alienating. I feel like you polarize people if you present a really. Um, I didn't want to present what you see on the news. I guess people feel helpless in the face of crisis a lot of the time. So there are a lot of um, really poetic, gentle, stunning works in the exhibition, but there's also a a video, Hannah Fermid, she's from New Zealand, but she did a film, The Villawood Project, where it was an intervention kind of on the edge of Villawood Detention Centre, and it's really hard-hitting, and a lot of people um, find it so confronting they can't stay in it for that long then we have Ella Rubelli this stop-motion film that is charcoal on paper it looks like a flock of birds or um, molecules moving throughout a, a, a darkened space so it's talking about you know the idea as humans or as beings as animals you know um we're constantly on the move and seeking out better pastures and and we all have arrived in a new space um we all have the experience of arriving somewhere where we feel the foreigner uh it's not an alien experience people moving to other places um, shouldn't appear or feel alien or threatening i suppose yeah shireen you have work in an exhibition coming up at foray that you're <laughs> part of a panel discussion Oh, no, the panel is for, it's for the, the Wheeler Centre. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's this weekend. It's Mewish Iqbal is one of the panellists. But Shireen does have an, an exhibition opening at Verge on Thursday. But similar themes. Mm. But, yeah, she was just telling me about it before. Also at 4A, similar themes. Yeah. <laughs> so many exhibitions. I guess it's so topical at the moment. Um, it was example of Know Your Neighbour, but this real instigation of reassessing what we are now, and that's really about a connection of the local with the global, and uh, it's really great to see in Australia these conversations coming out and exploring it in through so many different mediums and practices. We might take a track now. Yeah, definitely. So, so I think is, we've um, run out of talking time. We've run out of talking time. <laughs> um, and so, um, Shireen, you picked a song by um, called The Past Becomes You. Yeah. Omar Musa, Hal, Elfresh, The Lion, and Lior, who I just was like, where has he been for ages? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about this last track? Definitely. Um, Omar Musa is an incredible wordsmith. He's locally based in Sydney, but from Canberra, and I, I really admire how he can create our um, expressions that we are using visually with this idea of the trans culture and belonging and living within our Australian identities, um, though through such rhyme and charisma. Yeah, he's a true wordsmith, and I find him very inspiring. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on today. And so the exhibition will be on until... The 23rd of April um, up in Newcastle Yeah, right. at the lockup. We'll <laughs> pop a link up on the agenda show page in thank case you. you missed <laughs> any of the conversation. Shireen and Inika, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is The Past Becomes You. Yeah, yeah. 
Check, check. Let me tell you about a father and son feud. Me and him were making out a war like Sun Tzu. In our karma moments, he was vibing off the drum kick flow and the mic check one two. He would hear the freestyles that his son do. Told him it reminded him of days in the kampung, making up rhymes called pantoons. Little kids in the villages, kind of funny how the past becomes you. It's a cycle, move round and round, back and forth like the tidal waves from the tribal drums of the past to the black on the vinyl. Felt it from the day of my arrival. Is it a surprise that I fly over oceans Where my ancestors were sailors and pirates Trading and floating, boats full of spices Now I pack trunks with a crate full of flavours Some vocals, did they know it when they planted the seed That the poetry would grow into a family tree Many fruits, many flavours, the canopy to shade us The music in the leaves help the planet to breathe we're passing on our breath to our children The brilliant diamond cut hope and resilience Heaven lit legacy, I'm trying to be a better me The past is a now, the now is ahead of me Funny how the past will become you It was destined to be a part of me Kanye West wouldn't dare question the artistry It's a new page But old feeling when the fuck comes With the 808, the new age log drum Reincarnated in a 